Episode, I'm joined by a new co-host. Who could it be? Time to geek out! As for 2013, we begin with how we became fans of this near enough 50-year-old show called Doctor Who. Welcome back. It's episode 8 of the 49UP podcast and it's the 2nd of 2013 because obviously I brought out the... Uh, Angels Review, three days late. I was meant to bring it out Friday the 4th of January and I brought it out Sunday the 6th. So I procrastinated too far and we we had a bit of a late release schedule for that episode. But uh, we're back, we're hopefully back on track now with recording this episode on Sunday the 6th. As I said before, it's a, uh, we're going, since George is uh, away for the next few weeks, we're going on a bit of a jaunt with a few topics that are going to be explored over the next few weeks and there's going to hopefully be a time agent review uh, expert uh, interview coming up in the next few weeks but first i'm going to introduce one of our new co-hosts he's uh, a, f- a recent fan of the 49 up podcast as he got in contact through our uh, feedback uh, email which was uh, the 49 up podcast at gmail.com and he's now become now we hope to bring him on first as a temporary co-host but if all goes well, we're bringing him on as a full-time uh, co-host. It's Ian Garbett. So would you like to introduce yourselves to our listeners, Ian? Uh, yeah. Um, all right, James. Firstly, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good. It's, I, I've, I've been jogging today, and I've found that I'm really knackering my Achilles tendon, so I'm, supposed to, I'm going to be giving myself a bit of relaxation by editing this podcast during the week <laughs> so I don't knacker my legs. So uh, this will be very enjoyable to uh, spend the week doing doing with this podcast release on friday uh, how are you uh not too bad not too bad um not really been doing much today just the odd bit of washing up which i'm sure everyone wants to hear <laughs> but <laughs> uh no no it, it's 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 been good quite nice and quiet and um obviously i've been sort of like looking looking forward to recording this because i knew it was coming <laughs> it was coming so, at some point yes it was just the inevitability of, of you, you're putting yourself out there to be a co-host and then, yes, it's the time. And then everything goes tits up with Internet. Yep. <laughs> so it's always it's always something that goes wrong. But so fingers crossed, it's not going to interrupt too much as we get into today's little uh, what we'd like to call what what the DWP and the WhoCast used to call a geek out, which we, I think we'll address as a geek out that uh We've got several topics to come up during the year as we go into the 50th anniversary and uh, a few unscheduled episodes as of yet for our podcast. But uh, Ian came up with a good idea of having a first geek out as being how we personally became fans of the show. So this in terms of like our favorite doctors, favorite companions, favorite stories, whatever, as you, but in a more general sense compared to as we get into more concentrated discussions in the future. So uh, this is our geek out on how we became fans of Doctor so uh, I'll, let, I'll let Ian begin with how he became a fan. Oh, thank you very much. Um, right, well, I actually became a fan, although I was born sort of like during the King's Demons and the Five Doctors, which is Fifth Doctor for those that want to know. Um, I didn't actually watch Doctor Who until I was probably about seven years old, and I actually came to it through UK Gold, um, which is a satellite channel. Um, and, uh, I mean, my, my introduction was sort of like, a bit sort of like random really because the first story i ever saw was i think it was the tail end of episode two of genesis of the daleks and um you had 
Sarah Jane, well, I didn't know it was Sarah Jane at the time, but um, she was climbing up the, uh, the gantry to get away from some Thal soldiers. And um, I just randomly flipped over to the channel and sort of like started watching, thinking, oh, they're obviously escaping from something. I wonder if uh, they're going to get away. Uh, and then, of course, you see uh, Sarah fall, and then it's the adverts. And you think, oh, I'm actually going to stick around to see what happens on this. Um, and so I just sort of waited until the adverts were over, and then it came on. And I just found myself, even after I found out what sort of like happened, I just carried on sort of like watching it and think, this is actually really rather good. <laughs> I just really, really sort of enjoyed, uh, enjoyed it. So I thought, well, well, what I'll do, as this seems to be on every weekend, um, I'll come back next weekend. And I was greeted by uh, William Hartnell. They, they went through a weird sort of phase where you went Genesis of the Daleks, um, Keys of Marinus, and then they went to Day of the Daleks, and then they settled with Tom Baker from The Face of Evil onwards. Um, so I had a sort of like, already I was sort of like introduced into this bizarre concept of it's the same person, but, you know, different. Um, so, so that was quite a very early introduction into the whole regeneration thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's, from then on, it sparked an interest um, in a series that I've, you know, contained throughout the, the rest of my adult life and still love today. So, there you go. The UK Gold was all the omnibus versions, wasn't it? Because I mean, it was it, it wasn't it like that. The episodes, I think, was as in because if you had had a four parter, each of the twenty minute episodes were probably cut into like two parts, and then obviously you'd have all the episodes shown at once, and it was probably about about an hour and a half hour or two hour showings, weren't they? Whenever they were on UK Gold, I think that's what I can remember. Yeah, UK Gold, um, they did at at the time when I started watching, they did omnibuses at the weekends, but then they also did uh, episode per night during the week. Um, so like uh, like a four-part story would obviously take up four days. Um, and event eventually what happened was they would run the omnibuses at the weekend and they were always a lot further ahead uh, in the week programs. But, of course, eventually they, they caught up. And I think in, in the end they stopped the weekday ones and then the omnibus ones just carried on and were constantly repeated um, over the years. Uh, the, the, first, the initial run was... Um, Tom Baker through to Sylvester McCoy and then they went back and did the Pertwee to McCoy and then they went right way back to Hartnell to, through to McCoy and I think that's what they started doing afterwards they ran it on that sort of like loop they just gradually moved their doctors backwards um, throughout the entire run that UK Gold existed for well, of course it doesn't exist anymore so that's a bit of a shame So, but it, but it makes me more interested in sort of like um, how how you sort of like discovered old Doctor Who and and the same with uh, with George which you know we'll ask him yeah. when he comes back because um, new new Who uh, obviously has drawn a lot of new fans uh, but I don't know how many of the new fans sort of have decided to go back and and look into the older material. Yeah, well, with with me, it was it was basically before two thousand five. It was just a uh, a big 
well, not a big, but a, a medium-sized cluster of different clips and whatever that occurred. Because I can think, I think the very first memory I had was of the Dalek coming up the stairs towards Sylvester McCoy at the end of part one of Remembrance of the Daleks. I don't remember what it was, but I could, it was like th- for all the years after that, I could picture the voice and the image put together of like hearing that that version of the Dalek voice saying exterminate, exterminate with that um, greenish sort of inverted picture with all the uh, circle, with the sort of Dalek look that was on charging towards Sylvester McCoy and that I think I think from what I can remember in my brain because it's sort of frazzled <laughs> as, as I am but um, that's I think that was probably my first memory that really stuck with me but then over the years the only ever mentions I, that I usually got was was the <laughs> was the Daleks in the Kit Kat advert and then uh, <laughs> the the occasional little clip but then obviously with when it came back in 2005 I missed uh, rose but then when i was flicking through channels on because we have because we got sky probably in about 98 99 i can't remember exactly which year but i was flipping through and then i came to bbc one and then i saw a, saw the trailer for the end of the world and then it set, came up at the end doctor who at seven on saturday and i thought isn't that an old show that had been, that obviously had been on ages ago and i thought oh i'll check that out because it because i like i like science thanks science fiction at that time because there's obviously star wars and all that sort of stuff that had gradually gone into because of because at times i had gotten uh, had borrowed uh vhs tapes of uh return of the jedi or empire strikes back uh, empire i can't speak empire strikes back at that time and then i thought oh this is a new uh which which i thought was new but obviously I thought it had a bit of a history to it. And then I came to watch this, the end of the world and absolutely love what the concept was. So I just kept going and going and going and going through the series one with Christopher Eccleston and then getting to the end of episode 13, witnessing the regeneration and thinking what had happened to this, what had happened here? What was this about? Was this something that had been previously alluded to or was this something completely new because this was a new TV show? But after watching Doctor Who Confidential, uh, especially after episode six almost, because I think episode six was probably the major one to have a lot of uh, classic era clips because they were exploring Daleks as a, as a concept rather than just the Dalek that was in the episode. And it was just, I thought that I'd, I'd try and get back into the uh, into the era it was a bit hard at that time because i hadn't explored the internet that much because i think it was still slightly in its infancy about that time it was what well, wasn't that of it wasn't that uh uh restricted but i mean compared to what what we have now with youtube and everything i wasn't there wasn't that uh good to try and see old episodes all you could do was go to the uh, BBC website and the classic version which had Doctors 1 to 8 on it you just see the pictures and the synopsis and whatever it wasn't until about until until two, the end of 2006 series where I got into YouTube which obviously had clips of all the uh, clips of old episodes because of BBC Worldwide and all that and then you obviously explored all the history of it and then I'm slowly getting into it where I got DVDs of old episodes warming into old Doctors and all that sort of stuff and it blending in with the new series as, I, as the new series is still going as we as we speak that it became a lot more interesting that you, there's this whole history that stretches back to the day after president president kennedy had been assassinated which obviously at one point during my secondary school education i was learning about and all the different theories and whatever and, I th- and, and it was just a great uh intertwining of the two events that that, that that um got me into which was one of the reasons why i liked what um 
watching some of the documentaries on some of the DVD releases, which were like with the uh, with the uh, beginning box set about how the creation of the show was brought up and all that sort of stuff that when they first showed an unearthly child that there was a restricted amount of viewing figures because of everyone mourning the death of president kennedy and i mean it's gradually gotten more and more interesting the more i explore the series i mean there are a few classic stories i haven't seen quite yet but across up to now it's been a very good journey exploring this past and it's 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 just show that just keeps drawing you in no matter what era you're looking at from start to now well i'm I'm actually sort of like as you know sort of glad that um you know some some newer fans have said are are digging up uh, into the old one i mean i know uh quite a few um sort of like famous youtubers and whatnot that are sort of like going down that path uh but i know i can understand why some of the fans of the new series don't want to look into the older stuff simply because if if they're that worried that the special effects and whatnot are going to sort of like hamper their viewing um which which some people do sort of like feel like they just think it's going to look so rubbish <laughs> that it's uh, sort of like not worth their time but you know it's but I, I do like it when I, I hear sort of like new fans looking into the old stuff because obviously I grew up on the old stuff. There wasn't any of this um, sort of new stuff around. If, if anything, I mean, I was I was at the point where, uh, you know, I was I was quite happy in '96, like when it was came back for one night in you know 1996, uh, and then of course it came back again um, in 2005. So each time I was sort of like happy because I'd already been familiar with um the program but i'm sure a lot of people you know sort of like turned up thinking oh this is brand new never seen this before so <laughs> i think with uh, the stuff that's coming out recently with um, big finish audios and books and all that i think it's that they're, they're, they're trying to appeal to the newer audiences because with some of the stuff you know that it's it's set in the classic era but with all the production values they get with with the ways you're describing events in books or you're portraying with sound design in audios that it's it's bringing that new series feel back to the classic series that it never had because obviously it was filmed and made and produced at that time but i think with with the with the new with the audio releases and the books and whatever it's it's giving them a new lease of life to say that if they had this budget and this technology back then, that it that the, some of these stories would have been just as good as some of the stories now. And to say that the classic series had such a potential in it, if the technology and the knowledge had existed back then, that it could have been as good as it is now. But it's it sort of attributes to how the show is is as good as it is now, is to the is to how it developed from its humble beginnings in 1963 to how it is now in 2013. Mm. It's, it's also funny that you should mention there the um, uh, the connection to all like audios and, and uh, the books and things, because of course they have actually, some of them have actually been made on uh, the new series. Like um, you've got obviously uh, Human Nature was, was a novel um, originally. Mm-hmm. Um, it was with the Seventh uh, Doctor, wasn't it? Yeah, with the Seventh Doctor, uh, Ace, and uh, Companion uh, created by Paul Cornell, I think, called uh, Beneath Summerfield. Um, so, so that that was the original uh, sort of story. But even um, there was another big Finnish story called Jubilee, which formed sort of sort of like the backbone for Dalek. Essentially, it was written by the same writer, so that probably helped. Um, but it it was obviously with um, with Dalek, it was told in a totally different way. But the concept of um companions 
sort of like not being afraid of the Dalek and then being afraid of the Dalek. They, they were all introduced in um, the Big Finish Audio Jubilee. So it, it's quite interesting. So that, that these stories have obviously had effect on certainly like Rusty Davis, where he thought, well, these are worth, you know, passing over onto television now. So um, it was obviously proved that they were sort of ahead of their time when they were done. It was it was interesting how Mark Platt was um, was putting the credits at the end of Rise of the Cybermen: Age of Steel for spare parts, which I, as I've told you, Ian, in, on Skype, that I still uh, I still need to get to listen to all of it. But it's 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 that way that compared to having a writer that's obviously written for the show or written already has already written the original story with Paul Cornell and Robert Sherman having the inspiration for Mark Platt they obviously credited him in the credits instead of obviously not crediting him because he was the writer of the TV version but I say that that's interesting that these that that the audios are so widely regarded by fans that it, it gets turned into a into a show into a into a television story that everyone can experience and still get chills and excitement from watching it because it was so so greatly praised in audio format that they've brought it into the TV medium. Mm. I mean, it's 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 quite. I mean, Doctor Who in itself is sort of like a, a remarkable sort of program, anyway, because it's it's had its um, run-ins on television with potentials being cancelled, and you know it's been off for a, a year here and there. But the good the good thing about it was it never really died. I mean, even in 1989, when the last uh, story went out, um, there was uh, I think Andrew Cartmel and um, a few others went to Virgin Publishing, and they started like doing Doctor Who novels, picking up pretty much from where survival left off uh and those those stories just you know ran on and then they decided well there's there's still a market for the old doctors so they did the missing adventures um and a lot of them have all spawned writers i mean people like mark gatiss and and uh, paul cornell and you know a whole, a whole bunch of others um that wrote even ross t davis that wrote novels for those series uh, have ended up having a part on 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 the new series um so i think that that's like rewarding you know people very well um but yeah i mean the, the novels and the audios they've they've just sort of like kept doctor who alive throughout the whole wonder years and i i, I do have i'm a big fan of the audios because they actually gave paul mcgann a chance you know he wasn't just a one-hit wonder he he was involved in loads of uh, audios and it's nice to be able to see what he was like as a doctor i i i I've listened to the beginning and ending of, of uh, the Eighth Doctor's relationship with Charlie Pollard, and I think that those were some of the some of the best uh, audios of this of the uh, series. But I think that uh, as I've tra- as I've gone across with other Doctors in the audios, because because there's a good potential to explore them with some of the gaps in their continuity. But um, the the way that they've produced the audio adventures is is to such a good standard that you you could Im- half of them you could imagine uh, w- would work as TV stories if they'd have made these because I mean the uh, storm warning with uh, the introduction to Charlie was a very interesting concept and it, I mean being in a in a in a airship that could have been very minimal um, sets and whatever which could easily be made as a TV story and the one w- and the uh, was it the uh, I can't remember what it's called. Was it the girl that shouldn't have been or something? Like um, that? I think it was. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to get confused with um, <laughs> the TV episode. Um, 
Because it sounds like that. Because I, I remember it's the Cybermen are in it, but I can't remember. It's like the girl who never exi- shouldn't have existed or something like that. Yeah, the, I think it was the girl who never was. Um, the girl who never was, that's yeah. it. Uh, and, I, and I really liked how that was done as well. And uh, with some of the Lucy Miller ones, because I've li- listened to the first series of Lucy Miller, I haven't heard any of the uh, uh, succeeding ones, but that, that was a very good uh, combination as well. And... Uh, with with the audios and the books that, that it's it's may as with other sci-fi uh, universes and, and things like that it's given it a lot a much broader and much more complex but also enjoyable um way of exploring the characters because i mean you get you've got bernie summerfield who started off in virgin new adventures and then she had her own series which is obviously trying to divert itself a lot away from the doctor who umbrella and you've got uh, other um spin-offs like jago and lightfoot which and sarah jane as you were saying in in the skype chat that have made it a lot more so that you get these niche fan groups which are going to enjoy certain certain parts a lot more than than the than the show as a whole. So I like that the, 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 these fans in the writers and the producers and whatever have come together and made a a show that can uh, that can appeal to almost any type of fan or any type of viewer. That it just it it, it works in so many ways. Yeah, I mean they've they've done. I mean you know uh, just to you know, mention Big Finch again. They have done. As you say, a sort of like wide variety. I mean, they've done entire series set on Gallifrey, um, which you know is quite in itself. Um, it, it gives a bit more of an idea behind sort of like Time Lord society because in 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 the new series, obviously they know them as you know people know them as sort of like powerful beings and a bit nuts <laughs> if um, you look at the the end of time. But um, at the, in in the old days, they were just politicians really, um, yeah. and they were just <laughs> sort of a bit boring in their own way when i mean time laws were a lot more interesting when they were mysterious like they were in sort of like the war games and whatnot but um when tom baker started visiting gallifrey quite a fair bit they they just became a bit pathetic in the in their own way though obviously they still had sort of like enormous powers and whatnot but they, they were just reduced i think so i think that they have a lot more appeal when they're not on screen which is why i'm quite perfectly happy for them all to have sort of like disappeared in in the time war bar you know the odd rogues like the rani and the master and whatnot um so. i'd have said with uh, the time laws there's sort of two aspects that sort of make them weak in, in both the portrayal in the war games and all of the portrayals post that in the in the war games they were very frightening and way in a way that they could remove you and all this and the some of the subsequent subsequent novels or stories are like that where the where i think it was i was reading recently where they i can't remember which planet it was but oh wait it was the um image of fendal where they put the home planet of the fendal in a time loop because they thought that them cheating evolution was a threat to the universe where they where with that and the the war chief and the and all them that as in their their race that they could remove them completely from time which is a scary aspect but also it makes them seem too omnipotent and why would they be beings like that when and yet they have the doctor going out and protecting this little planet why would they care just because they have a bit of sentiment but as opposed to in the later series that they become more of a 
more of a, a spoof on politicians is that obviously they do become a lot lot more pacifistic and where where you get introduced to say that they had a non-interference um constitution on constitutional article but i think it it did also give them a bit of a strength to say that they are so high as beings that they will they will hardly interfere with any other cre- any other life form but it it also gives them a little more of a a relation to how their backstory was with Razalon and the Omega and the other that it was it was a, it was a species that were very very egotistical very very uh, selfish and high up on themselves that they wouldn't do anything for anything anyone else that gives them a lot more interest inter, interesting scope as a species that was that high and mighty and powerful and that when it gets to the time war that they've graduated that, that behind the scenes of the tv episodes that we saw them and they've slowly as Com- colin baker said in the trial of a time War, they've become corrupt and that corruption has gone on and on and on until it got to the high point during the time war where they just basically said sod this we're going to become creatures of 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 consciousness and just destroy everything else because we're that selfish yeah. Oh, it's as I said. I mean, they're they're they've. I mean, I do, I'm I'm actually sort of like a fan, really, of um, of uh, as, as as much as I said earlier, you know, about them being politicians and being sort of like a bit crap in the Tom <laughs> Baker era. Um, they, I do actually find that. I mean, De- Deadly Assassin is one of my you know favorites of um of that era, definitely, um, because it was just it was there was just some about it that um, I sort of like really liked it. I love the style of Gallifrey back then as well. Um, I mean, obviously when he was in the war games, it was all black drapes and, uh, you know, by by the time it sort of like got to the fifth doctor, it was, I don't know, it, it just looked like it could have been like a posh hotel. What was what was so nice about, you know, the, uh, the Panopticon and all those, there was this lovely green sort of jade um, structure and, it, and I just love the whole sort of like appeal of them. And and they've always, I've always thought the Time Lords looked, you know, sort of like great in all those collars and things. Although from from what several people have said, they are a right pain to wear because <laughs> <laughs> they're like solid solid lumps of plastic they have to mould to their shoulders. So if they if they move if they lean forward too much, they'll just be cutting into their skin. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few sort of like horror stories about um, Doctor Who costumes and things. I mean, I remember one like um, about the Ice Warriors. Um, they've they've had uh, quite a few injury related uh things on those because of um the way they were i think they were like bolted together um at, at um at the at the crotch and the shoulders and whatnot and if they <laughs> fell over it could end up in near fatal <laughs> sort of uh instances when you but, say bol- uh, when you say bolted it makes me think of how uh, I think it was uh, it was uh, I can't remember his name, but he was what he was the uh, first person to be infected in the waters of Mars. He, he was uh, one of the uh, special effects guys with Neil Gorton, where he was bolted into the uh, the android for Bad Wolf Party of the Ways that you could, that you could actually see an Alan Key was tightening the, the the face mask of the of the android onto his head. It was like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, that was literally bolting. Well, yeah, because I mean, they, yeah, I mean, because they, they used to um, on uh, on the old Cybermen, they they used to screw the head plates on. So like, once you were in there, you weren't getting out for a good you know few minutes. Um, whereas of course later they just made them slip and click sort of, uh, so it was a lot quicker to get people out. And of course, you know, people 
people have gone you know, absolutely sort of like crazy being in such confined spaces. Um, I mean, there was a, a well-known um, part in survive, uh, yeah, Survival um, where one of the cheetah people just completely rip off their costume and walk off never to be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, as we are in this geek out of uh, how we become fans, we obviously introduced how we become fans and uh, we're now going to move on to what what our favourite Doctors are. Because, I mean, at the minute there's 11 of them, so we have a very wide spectrum of actors that we could say is our favourite. But, uh, I mean, we all we all support every, all of the actors that played him or else it wouldn't have been as successful a show if, there, if one of the one of the actors was uh, a little left out compared to the, the other 10, but if you know what I mean. So, Ian, what, who's your favourite Doctor overall? Well, as you say, it's one of the, the one questions uh, a lot of Doctor Who fans sort of like fear, really. I mean, for some, it's absolutely dead sir. I mean, I know a lot of people that like um, Patrick Troughton as their, their favourite quite easily. Of course, not really got much to go on for him myself because I've only got uh, the audios, which I haven't listened to in full. Um, but the, the, the episodes that he was in... Um, you know that that do survive were quite interesting, but I, I, the only reason I'm going to go with my favourite of um, Tom Baker is simply because he was the first one I saw. He was the one that sort of like got me into it, um, and and it's it's just I mean he had the right sort of like mix of comedy and seriousness. I think that sort of like just sort of like drew you in. Um, and I know Americans of, of um, say you know that Tom Baker was their favourite. For, for the most part, because he was the only, he was like the first Doctor they got over there. Um, they didn't really get much of the Hartnell, uh, Trout and Pertwee era. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's just it's just because he was simply my first. And and uh, I'd, what was sort of like nice was I followed because he was the the one where I started. Apart from that sort of like haphazard beginning of the first and third Doctors, um, I went through I went on the journey as it were from the middle of the fourth doctor right the way through to to the end um of of the the original run so i i, I just you know i remember his regeneration being like oh it's actually really quite sad because <laughs> he was like he was he was the first doctor to see sort of like go um and i wasn't too sure on this uh, sort of like peter davison character at first but when when as toya wilcox once said um in an interview years ago within a few episodes of the new doctor you forget who the old one was you know and i think that's sort of like shows um you know sort of like good casting and the the show itself you know it, it just goes to show how good it can be that your interest you know sticks with it because you're a fan of the character and not necessarily just the actor yeah yeah well um I mean, obviously, I wasn't born when the series was on TV. Or, or well, I mean, I was probably born like uh, semi middle of the uh, of the um, non non broadcast era between eighty nine and ninety six, and then ninety six and two thousand five. But um, I, I I mean, I've I've been brought I was brought brought up as in like being recently brought to the new series, but. Going against what a a new fan would say that oh like my favourite's Christopher Axton so because he, he was so tough and broody and all that or David Tennant because he was so cheerful and chirpy and all over the place and mad or Matt Smith because he's the most recent or whatever he's all got the, he's got these various uh, parts various aspects of the previous Doctors or whatever but uh, going to a classic going back to a classic Doctor I wouldn't go straight to um, Tom Baker, just because he's obviously the most favorited in that sort of area. But I mean, 
uh, I'd probably go for Colin Baker because to me he is a to to how the fans have addressed his char- characterization of the Doctor is that he didn't seem like a Doctor because he was very distant from some of the past tra- attributes and personality of the Doctor is I just love the way he portrayed it the way that he was he was he was uh, he was he was cheerful at times he was broody He'd, his his shouting i wouldn't say i wouldn't go with people that say oh you should you shouldn't have a do- doctor that shouts all the time but i think the way that he would he could enunciate he could broadcast his voice out as an authoritative figure where in re- in the new series it's been shown that in his like his 10th and 11th regenerations he hasn't had a as some people say a trusting face is that with with uh, colin he's got a voice that can project his authority and his message in, in a way and i just I, I just love the costume i love the companions he had not so much mel as perry but she's all right <laughs> um and all and all of the different the varying different stories he had because there was quite a variation in like the first season and the second season he did especially with trial of a time lord and the terror of the vervoids i think was my first colin baker story which really got me into his way of portraying the character and also that uh, I think that Colin Baker episodes were some of the first that I got the DVDs of and the first that I really enjoyed. I think Time Lash might have been probably my second or third DVD to get. I know it's not the best of stories to watch to get into a Doctor or anything like that, but it was enjoyable. It had a story which sort of made sense and it was nice that they got a reference to H.G. Wells' sort of works and all like that, it, which, which, which could be compared to modern day with Shakespeare Code or The Unicorn and the Wasp. It, it, it was something about him. It's it with with Colin Baker, as you'd say that you have a hunt, if you have a you have an inkling about something. To me, it's sort of like with a favorite Doctor. I have that sort of internal feeling that saying this man that played the sixth Doctor is my favorite overall. That he just had something about him that really interested me, and that it, it's his most enjoyable time and obviously as you've said previously that there have been lots of Colin Baker audios that have just been so good because I've had recorded uh, I think it's recorded time which was was it the 450th release from Big Finish which had four separate stories and those those, those, something like that I know it was one of the later ones yeah those releases where it had four separate stories which were one episode self-contained stories were are actually very enjoyable for me to listen to in a whole sitting between the between the four between the four parts and um also i mean with audios it's it's been, i've been getting into the tom baker first series one which which was a miracle to actually make happen but i think overall colin is my majorly favorite doctor just because of all the different aspects that make him so in, in, unique compared to the other ones that have been in the other in the other 10 yeah, I mean, the thing the thing with um, Colin was, I mean, I, I, he, obviously when I when I first saw um, Colin, because they decided to cut out the whole of sort of like Trial of a Time Lord, he only had like about eight stories or nine stories, something like that, um, and um, it didn't give me a chance to sort of like get to know him. But he, he, even, you know, I mean, I've I've got to know Colin Bacon primarily through uh, the audios, and I think he's 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 got the doctor to where he wanted it to be 
because um, he, I mean, he's often, you know, said, um, you know, in interviews and, and things uh, that when it came to his portrayal on TV, uh, one, one of his favorite analogies used to be that, um, you know, he would he might cry over the death of a butterfly, but walk over half a dozen you know, dead <laughs> human bodies. Yeah, it's and because he. he just wanted um you know that sort of like alien sort of like aspect and and for that you know you know fair play um he did he did come across occasionally as um you know sort of like foul tempered and, and people have always slated him as being the most violent sort of like doctor um although although when they mention um vengeance on varos that wasn't he didn't actually do anything in that without without like going through spoiler two for people who may or may not have heard it because he, he didn't actually sort of like do anything that he's been accused of now the two doctors that's different <laughs> you know he was he did do um what uh, you know people have accused him of in that one but um it, it's and it's funny you should mention his costume as well because he always said like um the good thing about uh, his costume that he was always on the inside looking out. He never had to be on the outside looking in. <laughs> I actually enjoyed Although being on the have... outside looking at his costume. <laughs> <laughs> but he did have a rather um, nice uh, blue outfit, and um, not on TV, but they, they um, sort of designed him a nice blue outfit for uh, one of the audio stories, which I know sounds silly given you know an actor in an audio story a new costume. But at the time, it, because it was on the, the BBC website, it was... Um, I think it was sort of like uh, flash animation or some, something like that. It was a uh, real time, wasn't it? Um, so it came with with pictures. Yeah, that was real. Real time, yeah. And uh, they, they've sort of like carried on occasionally the blue outfit into some of the uh, the big Finnish audios. But again, in, unless it's mentioned in the story, it, it's it's just on the cover as a visual um, thing. But um, it was it was a lot uh, more sort of like subdued, I think. But um, as, as as an actor, as I mean, I, I, mean, I love Colin. He, he was I, it was because of Colin Baker that um, I started getting into going to the theatre a lot because I went to a, a Doctor Who convention phew, several years ago, probably about twelve odd years ago. And um, one of the, the the questions that often comes up um, on UK conventions is, you know, about their their theatre work. And at the time, he was going to do a tour of um, Corpse with Louise James and and um, her husband, I think it's David Warwick, something like that. Something like that. Uh, um, they're one of the people from Pirate Planet anyway. Uh, and um, and because of that, I thought, well, I'll go and see Corpse because, you know, Colin Baker was in it and Louise Jameson. Um, so I went and saw it, really enjoyed it. Uh, the next play I saw was Sylvester McCoy in Noises Off. And, and it, what this started to gradually do is it just got me after do the theatre because it's, it's a wonderful sort of like um, medium that uh, I think yeah I mean even Doctor Who's had its run on the stage at one at one point um, the ultimate venture you might have heard about it um, but um, yeah it's so I was I was I've, I was you know I've always thanked whenever I've met Colin I've always sort of like thanked him for uh, like that interest in in theatre so <laughs> going off on a tangent I know but never mind. <laughs> Right, next we move on to... What do you think was the... What would you say was your favourite uh, Doctor-Companion uh, combinations? Because, uh, I mean, some Doctors did have uh, companions more than once, but, uh, I mean, in terms of, like, with, with how the Adric-Nissa-Tegan com uh, companion combination was called a sort of family, I think that many 
companion doctor uh, combinations have been called families. So, what would you say is the best sort of doctor do, uh, Doctor Who family in the TARDIS is, is across the uh, as the across the years? Well, I've I've always had um, a soft spot for in Barbara. Um, Susan slightly less so, but she's part of that initial family. So, but but Ian and Barbara, I've I've always um, sort of like loved because apart from the fact that one of them obviously shares my name, uh, I I just I thought they, the the idea of them the two school teachers um, just worked sort of like really well. You know, because they they were always sort of like grouping together and you know against the Doctor sometimes. But um, I've, I've I've liked that one. I know I know um, about what you mean about. The Adrian Tegan sort of thing, but they, if if they were a family, I suppose they'd be described as a sort of like dysfunctional family because they never, <laughs> they never seem to really get on. <laughs> but, no, they um, didn't. <laughs> but yeah, no. So the the Hartnell ones were definitely, um, sort of one of the the most favourite sets. Uh, what about yourself? Uh, it's it's. It, I know that you would probably think that I, I, I might go for a Colin Baker or something like that, but I think I'd probably go for your favourite Doctor with. Um... Tom Baker, but I wouldn't go for the instantly, uh, instantly thought up one, which you'd say would be uh, the te- fourth Doctor and um, uh, Sarah J. Smith. I'd probably go for uh, Tom Baker and Louise Jameson with, uh, as Leela because, I, I, as I've, I've as I've been exploring it further with the uh, the fourth, the first fourth Doctor uh, audio series, and I feel that it's because uh, it's it's built on a it's being built as a direct continuity from the end of Jago and uh, 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 the towns of Wang Chiang that it across the stories between the face of evil which I need to see in full I was starting to watch it on YouTube I only probably got about halfway through and then I just lost interest because I was being distracted so I need to get the DVD but uh, from the face of evil to the invasion of time I think that that's a great dynamic that you've got You've got which what is essentially a human being that's a part of a uh, a team that's crashed on this planet and they've devolved into savages and natives of a planet they don't they haven't even come from that he has to reteach this human being that should know all about its own history all about what what the great um what the great uh accomplishments and endeavors of humanity has done going through different times and different locations and different places and developing the personality of this what you'd call a savage uh, bringing her up from the ways of it just killing anyone that's going to threaten your life not compared to the doctor who would try his best to talk his way out of it that it was it was an interesting dynamic that at the start you had this this uh, woman who would obviously get a Janus Thorn or her dagger and just stab or or obviously kill someone instantly that was going to try and kill them or obviously subdue them in a way that they wouldn't be able to get it wouldn't be able to do it wouldn't be able to do any harm in a sort of violent way that it's gradually getting a lot less prevalent as the doctor teaches her about how diplomacy and all that works in relation to aliens and human beings throughout the various stories until it gets to Gallifrey where she's found that a a life on a planet like Gallifrey has become a lot more comfortable in her in her eyes and her personality that she'd be on a planet where it's not solely based on trying to get your way with violence and whatever that she's become a lot more enlightened as a character 
I mean, they've, I mean, Leela's always sort of like been one of those, um, it's almost sort of like clever, sort of st- stupid companions in a way, because because she wasn't she wasn't um, stupid as in didn't know anything. She was obviously a very good sort of like huntress and whatnot, and, and uh, her intuition and whatnot came in handy you know, several times. But um, I think, I can't remember who it was, but they described it as being a sort of, sort of um, uh, Eliza Doolittle and Professor Higgins sort of like a relationship where he's sort of like teaching her, you know. I mean, that's most evident in um, sort of the talents of Wang Chiang. Um, but I, I do I do find that, you know, thing, things like um, the talents of Wang Chiang, the robots of death, she she had so many sort of like good stories. Um, the only the only part of uh, the invasion of time that didn't quite work for me was because she was you know this supreme sort of like hunter and sort of person. You would assume that she would be one of the companions that sort of like either dies heroically or goes on like Stephen and leads you know a tribe or something. But um, she ended up getting married. It just didn't quite gel. <laughs> it's it's with Leela. It was very. Um... Uh, I had a point in my mind, but I've just forgotten it now. One second. Damn it. Uh, oh, God, what was it? I just had a point about a development, and then I just forgot it. Oh, God. Um, something about a development, but it just went completely from my mind. Oh, God. Uh, oh, that's it. The, she, she, I liked how, despite being uh, a primitive, sort of a primitive, it was interesting how... As you said, she was she was the intelligent but stu- slight but stupid at sometimes companion. That I liked how that she was obviously new to all this sort of technology with all how the TARDIS worked and K9 and all that sort of stuff. But it was interesting how she would, as many people have commented, she would adapt the the way of explaining these sorts of these certain these sorts of things in her own. Uh, language and lexicon and all that sort of stuff that she developed as a savage that she, she was converting down all the complications of things that she'd learnt about into her own into her own way that she'd understand it and it was it was almost i think that was slight, a slight metaphor of the of the audience in a way that that the doctor would spew out all this gobbledygook or you'd be watching this science fiction and you wouldn't slightly understand it but then you'd have a companion like leela or like any of the other sort of female companions that would simplify it for you and you'd obviously understand mm, i I mean, there's one thing in particular I remember about Lida. It's a wonderful quote from um, the horror of Fang Rock. Uh, but when she's talking to the woman about um, uh, sort of like fortune tellers and whatnot, and um, she said that uh, the doctor taught her to believe in science. It's better to believe in science, you know, than rather than magic and whatnot. So I, mean, I always sort of like remember that. I mean, I love the horror of Fang Rock as well. There was a, it's 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 sort of like funny. It's what they would probably call a, a submarine drama, even though it was set in a lighthouse. Um, you know, because it was it's just one of those where no one can get out. <laughs> everyone is in this building, you know, and it's um it's it's I, just really good. It's ironic that we're getting a uh, submarine episode in series seven, part two. So maybe there'll be heartbacks <laughs> to horror Fang Rock in series seven. <laughs> Oh, that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Right, we've been going on for about half an hour or so with this geek out, so I think we'll round it off with uh, what's our favourite monster and uh, what's like a, maybe a second favourite monster, uh, 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 which is just come slightly second to the uh, first one. So, what what would you say is your overall favourite 
alien species or monster or concept that's been brought up by the series so far? And then what, what would you say is like just subordinate to that monster is like, you say, comes like a second best almost? Uh, well, yeah, you have to. Um, I think I've, I think I've got to acknowledge, you know, um, the, the Daleks because as 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 annoying as they can be <laughs> surfacing up every once in a while, they were, you know, one of the, well, they were my first uh, sort of like monster um, I ever sort of like uh, came up with. And I think Davros, you know, at the same time was, you know, a wonderful sort of concept because that, that obviously was being, um, you know, Genesis being my first sort of like Dalek story. I saw Davros at the same time. Whereas I know a lot of uh, people, fans of the old series, would have seen, you know, the Daleks, and then Davros was introduced later on, even though you know he was at their at their their birth. Um, and as for second sort of villain monster sort of thing, I mean, my personal uh, sort of like favourite, and um, I've I've really liked the character of uh, the uh, Celestial Toy Maker. Um, he was a uh, William Hartnell. Uh, sort of uh, villain who was due to actually reappear in um, Colin Baker's time, but uh, that was the season that sort of like never was. Um, but they've they've uh, recently, of course, done that on on audio, and they've done quite a few other audio stories and novels with the toy maker. I, I just love the concept of of the character. Really. Right, I'd assume that was because that was obviously brought on a lot more because of you uh, listening to Solitaire with uh, Charlotte Pollard. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really want to get, try and get into some of the lost stories because season was it season eighteen? Was not eighteen? No, uh, not eighteen. Um, was it eighteen? No. What, what, or twenty three? Wasn't it? Twenty three. That's it. Yeah. I keep thinking the another number eighteen. Well, I don't know why, but uh, obviously season twenty three and all that, and some of the other ones as well from um, Sylvester McCoy. But obviously. It, it it was interesting that uh, that we that we talked about the celestial toy maker and obviously it was unfortunate that um, what's his name uh, Michael got is it Michael Goff who who played him at, uh, yeah Michael who Goff, died yeah. recently which is a bit of a shame but uh, I think we're, we're a bit lucky to have a a new person that's playing the uh, to, to, uh, the toy maker in uh, audios is uh, is it David Bradley or something uh, Bailey David Bailey. Uh, He's David, yeah. yeah, David Bailey. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that they're two in- interesting choices. I mean, I still need to check out the Celestial Toy Maker because I think isn't that one the uh, only a, uh, only a few of the episodes exist? Yeah, um, part four. Um, yeah. uh, the other three are available on audio. I mean, it's, we're actually quite lucky that um, you know every single story does exist in its entirety, just not visually. So we're, we're quite lucky in that sense. I really hope that Dan Hall commissions some more lost episodes to be animated after the Reign of Terror. Because, I mean, the invasion looked good in the Cosgrove Hall animation. The Reign of Terror looks good in this form of animation. They're bringing up in the release in, is it February? They're bringing it up in or sometime like that. If they can bring if they can bring out maybe a box set with the 10th planet with its last episode uh, animated and the first few episodes of The Power of the Daleks animated as a box set, I'd have thought that'd have, that would be on every fans uh, like list of dvds to get almost immediately but but well, I, oh, I think it depends on their budget doesn't it on animating old episodes yeah i think they they seem to have um a policy of the moment i think if more than half the story exists that's basically to say you know sort of like two episodes or whatever uh then then they'll animate it so it's, it's very likely that the underwater menace will probably get its own release um mm. so that that seems to like be the current policy and i think i think 
they've they haven't animated any more than two so i don't know if money wise they would be able to do it i mean just imagine them trying to do dalek master plan <laughs> <laughs> that would be impossible <laughs> i mean they'd probably they'd probably just go they'd probably just they'd tell everyone that it's going to be animated and then everyone gets to the dvd and then just they're just like the very the two middle episodes are just they're just the the photo snaps with audio narration it's like <laughs> Due to due to budget cuts, this this episode was animated, but we lost it in the can. <laughs> but uh, uh, going off on a tangent there, yes, but yes. Say my <laughs> my favourite monsters. I, I'd go with Daleks to start off with because I just love the concept that there is a a race of human 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 human. I said human like three times, four times. Um, where you've got these humanoids like Homo sapien uh, creatures on another planet that. Had, the, it was the fear of the of nuclear war, wasn't it? Because it was brought on one by second by the Second World War and also by the Cold War of there being nuclear Armageddon. That you get these creatures, these humans that eventually devolve, well, evolve, devolve, whatever, into these squid-like creatures that have to be carried around in which in what I would call is basically a mini tank. Mm. <laughs> and you call it more of a tank when you get the special weapons Dalek and Remembrance of the Daleks. <laughs> But it's it's this it's this fear that it, as well as becoming a little green monsters inside of a inside of a casing, it's also more that we're becoming machines in a way that the Cybermen are. But us do that. But it's a way that, as I said, it looks like a tank. The the way you'll become you you are shrinking into this little mess of a squid thing, and then being put in a casing, which makes you look like just you've just been turned into a piece of military hardware. That's really scary, as well as the just general way that they just kill people is just you shoot them and it's a it's a it's a permanent paralysis as, as they explained when they uh, took down when they took Stephen down as he was, as he was not Stephen Ian when he was running away that they temporarily paralyzed his leg is that they upgraded that paralysis into just permanently killing someone which is which I would say is almost like a, a, per, a permanent paralysis of the brain that they have uh, as opposed is referred to a secondary favorite i would say i would go against most people's expectations of saying the cybermen but i would i would have to go with sontarans because i i love a an alien race which is portrayed as a very militaristic not to say that the daleks and the cybermen weren't militaristic in sort of their basis but the sontarans were which were made solely to be a soldier race with how they were introduced in the time warrior and then they've gradually been shown to be more and more militaristic through the uh subsequent stories although around colin baker's era and all that it was it did become a bit too more we're sort of basing it on human military military compared to how it started off as a, a lot more alien concept of military but I think they regain that more with um, the Sontaran stratagem, Poison Sky, and um, the last Sontaran and Sarah Jane adventures. That you get this this race of what started off as very tall, surprisingly, but then they eventually sh- they they got bigger, and then they com- then they completely shrunk in the new series. That uh, you get these creatures that are all clones that look. I mean, I was looking in the. Um... Uh, History of the Universe in 100 Objects book, which I got uh, a few weeks ago with um, about the Sontarans, and it's got a uh, a really um, good diagram. Well, yeah, diagram of uh, all the different Sontarans as you go through the history from time warrior up to now, and you see how much they change. It's obviously that the production values have no 
dictatorship on how the Sontarans are supposed to be clones throughout the entire series, how they've gone from black armor all the way to blue and how the how the head shape and the height has changed all the way down to being really tidgy people in the modern series. But uh, with Sontarans, as I said, they're, uh, it's a good um, emphasized uh, view on milit- militarization and how a how a purely military race is supposed to act and supposed to look compared to the Daleks and the Cybermen who aren't really mainly there for fighting. They're just there for making others like them or destroying everything. So it's more strategy versus instinct for the Sontarans, and that's what would be my uh, second uh, favorite monster. Good, good. Right, so that's our uh, geek out over with. I'd, I'd say, wouldn't you say, uh, Ian? Yeah, I think uh, we've done sufficiently enough today. <laughs> <laughs> a good load of stuff for everyone to chew over until next week when we uh, get into what we are going to be having then. So. Next week we have no idea what's going to be coming up. We are either going to be going to have having a review of the fan film series on YouTube of Time Agent by Jim McCall and Billy Tracy, or we're going to be doing a review of the DVD release of the William Hartnell episode The War Machine. So, uh, which, which of those do you think would be the better thing to do, depending on uh, what happens, Ian? Um, well, I. I... I'd say the War Machines is obviously something that I can definitely touch base with if I need to sort of familiarise myself with the time agent sort of uh, thing. But, um, yeah, it's it's a co-host decision. <laughs> the co-host decision. Right, so, <laughs> so obviously we'll be having you back next week again So as George is out for the next few weeks. So Ian's going to be our... Uh, temporary slash permanent slash whatever you'd like to call it co-host for what, what, whatever amount of time it takes for George to return so uh... I've never been slashed so many times <laughs> so we hope to see you all again next week so from me James this is goodbye and me in this is goodbye bye 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 Tune in next week, or you will be deleted.